there's this expression, and many of you come from a Dutch background, so I think it's an expression you'll appreciate, and it's called, the best things in life are free. Have you heard that? And all the Dutch folks said, yeah, amen. The best things in life are free. On one hand, sure, that's, that's true in a sense, right? Like we, we're talking about, like, when you think of it in terms of it's not the material things that we acquire that bring us happiness. It's, it's the, it's the untan- intangibles, the things that don't really cost money, like time spent with loved ones and all of that. That's the stuff that's the best stuff. I think that's what that expression's getting at. And I can see how it makes sense there, but also when you think about it a little deeper— doesn't everything come with some kind of cost? Everything comes with a cost. The things that are free to us often comes at the cost of someone else. So, for instance, precious time spent with someone, companionship, that's, that's one of the best things. I think we can all agree that. And, and some people would say that comes free, but the reality is it costs our time, doesn't it? It doesn't cost money often. You can just sit with someone, but it does cost our time. And in fact, what is the most valuable asset that we have but our time? So to sit with someone actually does cost a lot. Now, it's a price most of us are willing to pay, but let's not act like there's not a cost. There is a cost. It's not always free. Another example, uh, this past week, I got one of my favorite texts a person can get early morning. And it was from Allison. She sent a text to me and my wife and said, Five Lakes? That's all she said. Five Lakes? It's a coffee shop down the road. Asking, hey, you guys want some delicious coffee? So yes, we both said absolutely. We would love some coffee. Allison goes to Five Lakes. She's in the drive-thru. Who does she see but her old man, Don, sitting inside Five Lakes. And they exchange little waves and smiles and all of that. Allison orders, and she pulls around the drive-thru window. And sure enough, they said, your dad has paid for you already. Ah, way to go, Don. So Allison delivers the coffee. She explains all of this. And uh, I was prepared to pay for my coffee for Allison. She was prepared to not have us pay for it. And then she explained that Don paid for it. And so it was free to us, but it came at a cost to Don. One, he was gladly and willing to pay. Funny thing is, Allison didn't know he was going to pay, so she got like the biggest size lattes. So I mean, like poor Don's like out like 30 bucks, right? So... <laughs> So we'll have a separate second offering in a moment here. <laughs> Cover done. <laughs> the ultimate truth here is that life itself, true life, abundant life, everlasting life, the only life that really matters, life itself has come to us at an immense cost. Yes, the best thing about life is life. And life itself is not free, not at all. We have a debt, we call it sin, that we could never pay. But Jesus Christ arrives and takes the bill out of our hands. He pays the cost. He sets us free. He invites us then to follow him on this journey from death to life. All we have to do is make the choice to follow him. Now, it will come with some sacrifice to us. But what we gain is so much greater than what we lose. On paper, if you were like an accountant and you saw all this on paper, the choice is clear as day, right? 
easy. In reality, however, sin corrupts and clouds everything to the point that not everyone makes this choice. Today we look at this reality as we seek to follow Jesus by looking at one who made the choice to walk away. We're in week nine of our series, Follow Me, when we're now in chapter 10 of the gospel according to Mark, where we are trying our best to learn how to love and live and lead like Jesus Christ. And where we find ourselves in the text here in Mark 10, we see that Jesus is now on his final journey toward Jerusalem. He's nearing the end. So he's going from Galilee to Jerusalem, and as he and the disciples get closer to Jerusalem, Jesus continues to increase his intensity on teaching of the disciples. And he's really focused on discipleship. He becomes increasingly specific about his teaching and his mission at this point. And so the closer he gets to the cross, the more clear the stakes are becoming to those who follow him. Now again, as we've seen before, crowds gather. Again, he teaches, as was his custom. It was the focus of his ministry. Again, the Pharisees come to test him and try and trap him. They, this time, they go for a controversial topic over divorce. And then again, Jesus gives deeper instruction to his disciples in private. That is, after Jesus again owns the Pharisees. And then again, his disciples don't quite get it. Not fully as they're trying to keep the children from coming to Jesus. And he says, oh, please, let those kids come to me. And now we pick up to discover what the text holds for us today. We're going to be in Mark 10, verses 17 through 27. Hear now the true word of the Lord. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. <laughs> one thing, one thing you lack, he said, go. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Jesus, he looked around, and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. Oh, but not with God. <laughs> 
All things are possible with God. Thank God for the reading of his word. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus says, follow me. So so far, we have seen this invitation throughout the gospel as a call to discipleship, a call to follow the Savior. But today we see that the call to discipleship includes the cost of discipleship. Jesus now paid the ultimate cost. We began with that. But the choice to follow Jesus does still come with a personal cost. Nothing compared to the price Jesus paid, but yet it is still a sacrifice. You see, the call to discipleship, the call to follow Jesus Christ, it's the highest calling in our lives. Above our work, above our hobbies, above our family, for all of those things fall under and submit to our ultimate call, which is our call to follow Jesus Christ. All those things are included in our call. Oh, but they are subservient to our role as a follower of Jesus. See, before I was a pastor, I was a child of God. Before I was a husband, I was a child of God. Before I was a father, I was a child of God. Before I was a child of Ed and Kathy, I was a child of God. The God who formed me has called me, and he said, follow me, for I am a child of God. So if there's a cost, and he says, follow me, it is worth it every time. You, too, are a child of God. The same God who called the disciples calls you to follow him. Why don't you look to someone next to you and say, you are a child of God. Look at your second choice and tell them you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a child of God, and he looks at you with love in his eyes, and he calls to you and says, follow me. And that invitation comes with a choice, to follow in his way or continue along on our own path, to take up the new life that he has for you or try and scrape by on your own, to gain the world or gain the kingdom to lose your soul, or to gain your life. And here we have the rich young man. Rich young man. To the earth's measure, this dude is the cat's pajamas, okay? You heard me. The bee's knees, the cat's pajamas. This young man had a lot going for him in earthly standards. (laughs) But we don't live We're not called to live according to the world. We are kingdom people. But this rich man, he comes to Jesus. He is excited. He approaches Jesus. He falls on his knees, and he asks him this question, a question of such magnitude. It's it's pretty crazy he was comfortable asking this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his opener. You know how you're doing, just... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you notice how Jesus responds? He, he does what Jesus likes to do. He doesn't answer his question not right away. In fact, he answers his question with another question, one that, that kind of sets him off kilter a little bit. 
he says, why do you call me good? And then Jesus' response, what does it reveal? What it reveals exactly what Jesus has been consistent about all the while. He's revealing his servant and humble nature. That though he's fully divine and fully man, he still ascribes worth and glory to God the Father. None are worthy but God alone. His response is also interesting. Because the man comes and he asks, hey, good teacher, and he says, why do you call me good? Everything we read about this man, not Jesus, but the rich man, indicates that he believes himself to be rather good. But just as Jesus says, no one's good aside from God. No matter how hard the man works to be good and do all the right things, he still falls short. He is still lacking. Now, considering the man's question, questions reveal some truth behind him, right? It reveals a bit of this man's heart. What should I do? What can I do to inherit eternal life? You see, this man has done a lot for himself all throughout his life. This is, in a lot of ways, another checkbox on his list of accomplishments he longs to achieve. And honestly, he has an impressive list. You see, Jesus cites the commandments of the man. He eagerly and excitedly replies, I have kept all of these since my childhood. That's amazing. Like all of them? All of them since he was a boy. And his whole life, he has followed these commandments. And that moment, I bet he was so prepared for Jesus to say, Way to go! Congrats! You made it! You've done what it takes. You've earned your way in. Congratulations. It doesn't go that way. Now, Jesus alone can grant entrance into the kingdom into the eternal life this man longs for, what can a man do except surrender to the one who opens the gates? See, Jesus doesn't just want his good actions. He wants his heart. He wants his whole being. He doesn't just want him to do the right things. He wants him to surrender to the one alone who is good. And he knows what's on this man's heart. He knows the one thing in his life that is stopping him from giving his life to Jesus and surrender. For this man, his everything was his wealth, his stuff, his possessions. He's he's earned solely by his grit, his, his power, his accomplishments. And morally, the man is upright. He's been following all the commands since childhood. Compared to others, This man would be a shining example. But in the light of God's righteousness, he's on the same level as the rest of us. He is a sinner in need of a Savior. Nothing we ever do can change that. It takes Jesus. It takes only Jesus. Because God doesn't want us to have everything. He wants to be our everything. And so Jesus is standing before this man and he looks at him. He looks at him. You dig into what that means. It means to scrutinize, to look at intensely. 
man standing right in front of Jesus is looking right at him. And what does Jesus find when he looks at him? Verse 21 says, he looks at him and loved him. He sees inside him and loves him. The love used here is the agape love of God. It is reserved for God. It's the highest form and deepest uh, fulfillment of love that characterizes the love of God. And that is the love with which Jesus looks upon this man. It's the love that compelled Christ to the cross. It's the love that he looks at this man with. And he's not seeing the man's righteousness. He's seeing his brokenness. And yet... It's the same love he looks upon us with in our brokenness. He sees him and loves him, not for his accomplishments, but because he bears his image. He sees his brokenness, but loves him still because he is a child of God. And this is some grace for the journey for all of us today. It's that God loves us in our brokenness. You can't earn his love. You can't, you can't do anything to earn it. You already got it. He longs, longs to love us out of our brokenness and into the fullness of new life in Christ. So what does he say to him? It's not what the man would expect now, is it? He looks up at Jesus with anticipation. And what does he say? One thing you lack. One thing you lack. You have much, but it's not the stuff that matters. Give it all away. Take up the only thing that does matter and follow me. Now for this man, the one thing he lacked, or rather the one thing he had abundance of that he needed to let go of was his wealth. You see, the greatest enemies to our faith and our obedience are self-satisfaction and pride. And for each of us, that can manifest and take hold of us in different ways. But for this man, it was his wealth that prevented him from his faith and obedience. See, he's not bemoaning wealth in and of itself. But anything, even very good things, absolutely can stand between us and God. And this is absolutely what was standing between this man and God. It created a chasm between him and his Savior. And we all have that chasm. It might be wealth. It might be something else. And surrendering our lives to Jesus is the only way for that chasm to go away. For each of us, it's that thing we hold on to it's just as dear to us as the wealth was to this man. It might be control over your life and your direction, your surroundings. It, it might be how people view you. It might be your stuff. It might just be your own selfishness. We all have it, and it's called sin. And this man encounters Jesus. Jesus looks at him with love in his eyes, and he gives him the best offer of his life. Follow me. Follow me. Leave all that behind. Follow me. But instead of repenting and running toward him, he goes away sorrowful. He walks away sad. Every indication of the text is that he doesn't do what it takes. 
walks away sorrowful, accepting the riches of this world at the cost of his soul. I mean, think about it. Jesus offered him the substitute. He would be himself the substitute for this man's possessions. But Jesus called him to a place that was beyond his safe haven. He calls all of us to the place beyond our safe haven. And the man who had everything, the man who had done much, lost everything and couldn't do the one thing Jesus asked of him. The man's reaction proved who his God was, his idol, that thing that he valued more than Jesus. Instead of walking with Jesus, he walks away from Jesus. Isn't that heartbreaking? This man will never be satisfied. He will never find what he's looking for, for only Jesus satisfies. And he walks away from him, walks away from life toward death. And then after this man walks away, verse 23 shows us that Jesus then, he looks around. I love how the Gospel according to Mark captures the humanity of Jesus. He looks around at the crowd. Remember before he, he sighed and remember before he gets indignant, he is very much in touch with every human emotion. And now he looks around after this man walks away. He looks at all his people and every person his eyes touch is a, an image bearer of Christ, a person whom he loves. And Jesus bemoans again the fallen state of humankind. For he came compelled by love to save all. He paid the cost for all. He took on the complete sin of all, but only some would deem him worthy enough to follow. The disciples are amazed at what Jesus says about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Some of the disciples had riches. The fishermen had some wealth to them. So they were worried, oh man, am I? And he assures them that, yeah, you're, you're good. You see, the disciples have come to learn what this man couldn't grasp. Following Jesus is not about following rules. It's about surrendering our whole lives to Jesus. The man thought he did what it took to do good and enter the kingdom. Do good and enter the kingdom. And if we're honest, how many of us were raised this way? Just do good, just do good, just do good. Don't do the bad things, do the good, and you're in. But you can't earn your way into the kingdom. You'll never be able to check enough boxes. The only way you can get into the kingdom is if Jesus vouches for you when you give your life to him, and he will then in turn give you abundant life. Jesus gives us the exact same invitation. He calls, follow me. He calls us, follow me. But the call to discipleship does come with a cost. The cost you will feel throughout your life, but compared to the gain, the cost is the smallest sprinkling of dust. He looks at us, he loves us, and he asks, hey, leave blank behind Leave that behind and follow me. Follow me. What is it you need to leave behind today? What is standing between 
you and Jesus in your own pursuit to follow him. Whatever the cost, whatever it takes, give it up. Give it up. Because it is nowhere near the cost that Jesus has already paid. No matter the cost and the hardship and the struggle it takes to lay that thing down, it is nowhere near the blessing of being free from the chains of sin and shame. What counterfeit offerings from the world are you holding on to that it is time to let go? Because if you've given your life to Christ, you have already been set free. So let us live as the free people of God. As we remember Jesus' message, the kingdom of God is here. So repent and believe the good news. He asks us to do this. He asks us to do this knowing there's a cost that we will experience, but that is nothing compared to the price he's already paid. He asks us to do this knowing that he will save our lives and what we give up. Look at what he said to the disciples in Matthew 16. Whoever wants to be my, excuse me, my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So what will we do? How will we, we respond? Will we walk away sorrowful? No. May each of us daily, joyfully embrace the cost by keeping our eyes on Jesus keeping a kingdom perspective, laying our lives down for the one who raises us up. Remember your calling. You are a child of the one true king, an image bearer of Christ. So together may we relentlessly follow after him and give him all praise as we cast down our idols for the one who looks upon us with love. May it be so for each of us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. God's people, will you pray with me? Lord God, we again just thank you for who you are, for what you have done, for the amazing sacrifice that you willingly embraced for the love of your creation, for making a way where there was no way, for going to the grave so that we might be raised into new life. God, for those of us who have been following you for a time, we pray that you just continue to remind us of your goodness, remind us of the blessing it is to follow you, remind us that it is so much better to let go of the things of this world and to follow fully devoted after you. God, for those of us who are inching closer to you and have not yet said, I want to follow you, we pray that today you work in their lives to draw them in and say, yes, Lord, I choose today to follow you. May none of us be like this man who walked away. 
May we be compelled by your love, compelled by your being, compelled by what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do to follow after you. We together here again lay down our lives for you, Lord, because you gave it all. So we lift our praises to you because you are good, because you are worthy, because in you alone we have life and meaning and beauty and purpose. So as we prepare here to, to be sent out as your people, we pray that we are filled up by your Spirit to be your hands and feet in a mighty way. Thank you again for this time, God, for meeting us in this space and doing what only you can do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Our God is